what Lauren does or what Rachel does, and they um, um, who see what Lauren does or what Rachel does, and they go, "Wow, that, that's really fucking cool." And I'm like, "Yeah, it is. It is super cool." And they're like, "Yeah, but it just it's so intimidating, right?" Like, and I think that's kind of why we saw that initial uptick in people like wanting to give fitness a shot when they saw Lauren do what she did or accomplish what she did because there's something really powerful or empowering about being able to move your body powerfully through space. So I try to like mix some of those things. And I also think there's a lot of like positive health benefits, positive training benefits in being able to control your proprioceptive ability in a very powerful and deliberate way. So that translates obviously into compound movements, free weight movements and things like that. And the ability to drive hypertrophy um, can be kind of fed, I think through, incorporating movements like that yeah no I, I definitely think that like the way that you coach now is a product of like your experience with high school collegiate athletics so um i'll probably just let you kind of give some background info on like what you did as a kid coming up like what you did in school with lifting and training and like going through college like what that experience was like working with like a team and then also moving yep. on from school working, working out as an individual, like wanting to compete, do like physique, you know, all that shit. And like, I kind of want to hear you talk about your background, your story, because I do think that that facilitates how you coach now. And like how you have that, you have a slightly different ideology with coaching than I do. Right. We're like, mine is definitely more geared towards like pure hypertrophy where that's why, like, I get the clients that have pure hypertrophy or pure like body composition goals. Whereas like we shift a lot of clients to you that have more of like the general wellness goals, like the functionality goals. They're like, I just want to feel good. I want to look good. I want to be, be able to move well. Like, obviously I can do that, but like that is more along like what you're wanting to do with your clients anyway. So no, I definitely think that it'll be good for us to talk about kind of your background and your, your beginnings, because yeah. I, I think that will inform a lot of like how you think about shit now compared to me. For sure. No, I mean, like you said, um, I think where we come from obviously dictates a lot of our views. And so for me growing up, like play was a form of like safety. So the way you got into, or the way you didn't get into doing like shitty things, bad things, like was you went outside and you played. So we would just go play basketball for hours, grew up playing football, basketball, baseball, like pretty much any sport with a ball aside from lacrosse. Um, I, you know, I, I tried to play, which I would have been a dope lacrosse player. I'm convinced I just didn't have enough money and I was born in the wrong state but I'd have been dope. Soccer. soccer is so different though. Soccer is different. I grew up playing soccer for like the first six years, my first sport. Um, but for me, it was different because I had a huge growth spurt. I was a huge fast kid. So it was just kick the ball and beat everyone to it, kick the ball, beat everyone to it. And then eventually someone gave me a helmet and told me I could run into somebody and I can like, Oh, that sounds a lot more fun than this. So I started doing that instead. Um, you never wrestled, right? I did actually. Did so you? I quit basket. Yeah, I quit basketball my um, junior year, and I wanted something in the winter to keep me yeah. in shape for football. And so I wrestled, um, which initially was probably a really bad idea because I lost so much weight. I went from like being like 191 pounds, like 175 pounds, not a great idea for a guy who wants to, you know, is looking to go play football at college. But um, how were you my like, senior year, you were like the same height, right? Oh yeah. I was like six one then. Yeah. I was, I was lean. I was a lean bean. Um, but dude, this, the body control that I gained, the leverage abilities, like I grew up in judo. So I had about eight years of martial arts underneath my, uh, under my belt, pun intended. 
Um, and then, you know, obviously going into wrestling, a lot of the natural throws and, and grappling techniques were things I was familiar with. Um, but all of those things fed into my athletic ability and then my ability to do work both in a gym and then also outside of a gym, right? So like obstacle courses and things like that. I think those things are super cool. Um, and you have to have a lot of strength and coordination to complete those. But there's also a lot of strength and coordination that goes into a deadlift. And I think that if you can balance them correctly, like they can feed each other. So, um, but yeah, as far as on the background, like that's pretty much just what it was, was always sports all the way up through college and experiencing firsthand through my own anecdotal experience, how those translated into my ability to potentiate muscle or potentiate muscle growth, muscle growth, muscle strength, and then also continue to like compete as an aesthetic athlete as well, right? The idea of being able to take my conditioning and have fun with it in a way that might be a bit more unorthodox, but also would lead to a winning result. Yeah. So like with college, what did your typical strength training in-season, off-season program type of look like? Like if you can think about like what you guys did on a weekly basis, like how the training felt, how it looked, if you did, you know, like sprints, every single day, if you tried to yep. un- like practice one day, weightlifting the next day, like, do you remember what that looked like in college specifically? Because obviously college strength training is a little bit more advanced and there is a little bit more of like a calculated aspect to it versus mm-hmm. high school. You just have like your history teacher in there trying to coach people to the way yeah. in, in college, like you at least have some people that are exercise science interns or something. Right. So like, do you remember what that looked like? Yeah. Um, the biggest differential you saw was between obviously in-season, off-season training yeah. and then off-season training, the intensity was ramped up. So they had to um, undulate the days and what we were doing, right? So there was like a very intense conditioning day um, or it was a moderately, moderate to super intense, like just weight lifting training day. But a lot of the weightlifting movements were a lot of like, I mean, let's back up. I'll preface this with the majority of college strength and conditioning coaches don't know a ton when it comes down to how to balance uh, an athlete's workout regimen, training regimen year round. They can teach you through power movements. They can teach you through hypertrophy movements, but typically you don't find a ton of overlap where they can say, Hey, you know what? Like, yes, we're going to snatch. Yes. We're going to work on our clean and jerk. Right. But we are also going to learn how to deadlift. We're also going to learn how to maintain very strict and even semi-rigid body position and control a load in space. Um, because so much of their focus is how can I make you faster? How can I take what you're doing in the gym and have it readily translate to the field, to you know the court or whatever? But I think in that there's something that's lost in like the pure strength abilities, but also like your body rotates and you want to be able to rotate your body in space while moving something or doing something powerfully but can you also stop your body from rotating which i think then spins off into like the idea of like you know injury prevention and things like that right the ability to say hey yeah i can drive really hard from this leg and i can push laterally but can i stop when i land or do i kind of keep going do i like have that like breakdown there and the ability to just stop the movement when it's supposed to um, and I think that's where a lot of it's lost because so much of it is focused on the explosion and not necessarily controlling the explosion over a longer period of time, like a traditional, like hypertrophy style set. Um, but yeah, typically conditioning, then, you know, transition to weightlifting and they would maybe do that. We'd probably condition two times a week, um, just like keep our wind about us, but they tried to detrain that aspect. They didn't want us like sprinting and running like every single day in the off season, um, focused a lot more on food and, and training and being able to like, a lot of Olympic movements for the most part in the off season. Yeah. And 
with that, like, did you feel like there was a tangible difference between what you did in the off season from like your own ability to move versus in season? Like, did you feel like the extra weight that you were carrying was inhibiting your ability to move? Did you feel like that made you feel like a bigger, more strong athlete? Or do you feel like that transition was somewhat not needed as in like you could have stayed a little bit more in season ready even through your off season? And do you feel like that kind of like phasic approach of we're going to go in season and we're going to really, really refine like the specific movements that we're doing. We're really going to be like cranking up the sprints. We're going to be doing a lot more of like mm -hmm. the specific conditioning work. And then we're phasing out like the resistance training versus off season, obviously focus on like, we're going to get as big as strong as possible. So that hopefully that carries over. We're not going to focus nearly right. as much as like, you know, staying in season game ready. Do you feel like going back with, back and forth between those phases was useful or do you feel like it was potentially, I don't say a waste of time, but do you feel like that could have been done a little bit more efficiently? And this is totally up to you, like your decision yeah. not trying to like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. ease you in either way here. I could see it both ways. So as a player, as a player who is obviously educated, have my own experience, I've also studied and learned beyond what I was just being taught and fed by a coach. So I have my own thought processes, things I've talked to you about, things I've gone and studied on my own, things I've learned in school. Um, I would say that there's a more efficient way to approach this. If you could micromanage each athlete, if you could pay really close attention to all, you know, 50 to 80 players that you have at any given moment and say, Hey, like I can actually keep you really close to like a solid elevated maintenance year round and then we can just dial back when necessary a little bit and push forward you know when we're ready to pee the issue is you don't have that kind of like oversight you just don't have that kind of ability to sit there and say like i can gauge this player their fatigue levels currently versus this player's fatigue levels maybe they can keep going maybe they can sustain this level uh, a bit longer so i think because of that and especially now, like, I think I just saw the other day, like a coach is now on, on leave because he made his players do 300 push-ups and oh, yeah, there's kids high. that were like hospitalized and stuff. And so, like a high school, a high school Texas football coach or something. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I've, I've gone through some grueling days, but I can see as a coach, whether you are the head coach, the coordinator or the strength and conditioning coach, a trainer, while you're, you would want to err on the side of like, let's keep them safe. Let's make off season a bit more of like a a reprieve state they can kind of back down their bodies can recover from you know uh in high school you know 8 10 12 16 and then in color pros obviously 18 game season um you know you want to make sure that you don't run anyone to the ground because even if you do run that one player into the ground like you don't know it's gonna look like on you and if that one player is a key player right maybe they just you know they can't keep going like i knew dude our running back in college was Course, like he just was, he just did not have that ability to like mentally push through things. Like everything was my back or my this or my that. And who knows? He probably had like real things going on. Um, but because everyone else kept going, he looked bad, right? It made him look a certain way. And so it's like, well, they can keep going, you should. Whereas if he maybe had his own personal touch, maybe there's somebody that's like, actually, you know what? Because the way he's built, because the way he carries his muscle mass, this movement is not ideal for him. So this is going to hurt him. It's going to lead to long lasting effects that are going to be like detrimental for him. Um, but there just isn't that for the most part. Yeah. Do you think that if you were in the position of your strength and, strength and conditioning coaches, that mm -hmm. you would have done something different? Because taking into account what you said with like the team versus individual, because I think that is a huge point, right? Like I've coached a lot of large teams before, especially in the weight room and it can yep. be chaotic. Like it can be, 
a fucking madhouse. So sometimes you're just hurting sheep. Like that's the best that you can do. The best that you can do is just like make sure people don't get hurt in there, right? Like right. you're going to have a few studs who are really taking it seriously, who are like going in there, busting their ass every single time. They're actually wanting to learn. They're wanting to improve. You're going to have a few people on the other end of the spectrum that are just going in there fucking around. They're like actively in the way of everyone else. They're going to get someone else hurt. You know, like those people. And there are a lot of people in the middle of that who like would benefit a ton from more like the individual attention from a coach, but like they just can't get that in that large group setting. So right. that's obviously the foundation. But like you going back, if you were a coach and you were to go back and be guiding you and your team through the weight room, would you have done something differently? And if so, sure. like, what would you do? I would have segmented it. Um, yeah. I think that like at the collegiate level, kind of like honestly, like fuck your feelings. Like you understand like at this level, it's about doing things that make the most sense. So you made it to this level. You beat also, out all your kids in your high school and stuff like that. Like you made it's it also about level. results. It's about results. Yeah, exactly. So I would, instead of separating, like obviously during position drills when you're on the field you separate by position because it makes the most sense for the linemen to be with the linemen well once we shift from the idea of a position focused training when we're like hey we're just trying to get stronger faster you know more capable more powerful then i would then segment them in that way as well i would test everyone coming in in certain movements and then i would break down the groups based on capability so then i could say okay i know this group is mastered this so I can give them a program and kind of oversee it and keep going through and checking. it. This group looks like they might die if they get under a bar. Like they just really struggle under a bar. They struggle here and they're going to need more of my attention. They're going to need um, maybe some regressions built in and, you know, that's like a progressive model to get them to where these guys are versus just like throwing everyone in and you have some expert bench pressers and some guys, you know, who can't move 35 and they're like straining and their feet are up and shit like that. And like, there's a lot of things that goes into just like throwing everyone into a pot like that, because not only is there like a physical drain on both the people who are trying to push forward and the people who can't keep up, but then the mental drain on like the disparity between the two, where I think that if you can take that deliberate time on the players, the groups of people that need that extra attention while not stifling the progress of the others, like you said, they can't get in the way of the people trying to push forward, then you can more properly manage each athlete and better manage the team i think so you guys did not segment up the weight room we did but we segmented by position okay so, so you're talking yeah. more about like segmenting by skill level mm -hmm. i see what you're saying no i think that makes a ton of sense too because i mean i don't i'm sure that you've experienced this where like you have a running back who is just like ridiculously strong who's benching and squatting the same as linemen you also right. have like the linemen who some of them are badasses squatting like 700, 800 pounds. And some of them are like gigantic pussies that right. don't even want to be in there. Don't even want to squat the bar, like super out of shape. Like just don't take anything seriously. They might just genetically be like athletic as hell, right. quick feet, but like in the weight room, they're, they're useless, you know? So no, I, I think that that's an interesting take on it too, because what we used to do is we definitely used to segment people up by like size. So the reason for that would be so you're not having to adjust like the setting right. on a bench or the settings on a rack every single time. If you have someone go up who's, you know, six, seven, someone go up who's five, ten, you're going to be moving a lot of shit. So we we did it by size, which made mm -hmm. sense back then. But if you have a big enough team, it would make sense to do it by size and by skill level in a sense. Right. Be able to break people up that way. So, no, I think that's cool. So moving on from that, like obviously now we work together. Yeah. You've been you've been working with me for like three years now? Is it three? 
Something like that. This is our third year. Yep. Yeah. So this is our third year working together. Um, Like what, if anything, do you feel like you've brought from like your athletic background over to being a coach now? Because now you're not really coaching athletes Mm -hmm. in the same sense, right? Like we're, we're not coaching like sport performance athletes. We're coaching athletes like, you know, to get on stage, to get for sure essentially on in like uh, a CrossFit competition or a powerlifting competition or something like that. Like that's about the extent of what we're doing with, with competing. Um, maybe we'll branch off into sport performance at some point, but like, that's, it's a bit different. It's a bit different than like what you experienced as an athlete coming up. So like, what have you been able to bridge over? For sure. Um, I've gotten a decent amount of my clients, especially if they're not in prep to really dive into the idea of, or I guess, at least meeting me halfway on the idea of like, hey, let's incorporate some movements that are a little like unconventional, but will translate into what we're trying to accomplish, but also like your longevity. Um, I think that's a big thing for me. I think that in hypertrophy space, when you get so focused on like, and this is a glute movement, this isn't a squat anymore. It's a glute movement, right? And then you start to train your body in semi-unnatural ways because you really want to achieve this like, super biased towards this muscle group that's i mean we're getting older right that's how people sit there like oh yeah man i fucked my back up the one day because i just like reached across and grabbed the remote you know or some shit like that right because you've trained your body to work in such rigid patterns and like if you're not operating in that plane then you know you you kind of lose it right your body's ability to work in unison starts to deteriorate a bit and i'm really big on trying to retain that and and to some degree um not obviously within reason like if we're in in deep prep like i don't want to have someone distracted by trying to do some sort of full body movement um if we need to just like focus on conditioning and get our you know continuing our glutes up continuing our delts up etc but you know off season i think that's time to say hey like what i'm doing is not just because this is some ideology this is going to feed your deadlift this is going to feed your ability to continue to brace at those really really like heavy loads or in those deep deep you know volume sets um, your ability to control and move your entire body and know like like Usain Bolt doesn't just run fast, right? Like at that level, you don't just like get up and sprint. Like he's gone over the mechanics over and over and over again and has learned how to use his glutes, his quads, his hamstrings, et cetera, all in unison in such a way that he's elite. Um, and I think that that component can sometimes get lost because people get so focused on like this has to be just a glute movement and I feel too much quads and da-da-da, whatever. And it's like, your body's supposed to work that way. You can't like just turn your quads off, you know? Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of the writing that I've done over the past like year or so has been focused on a few different things, but one of them has been this move, uh, like industry-wide move, especially in like the hypertrophy world towards this hyper-specificity on everything. And while I understand it, I also agree with you that I think that for the majority of people, it's unnecessary, it's stressful, it's counterproductive, and it's honestly probably going to do more harm than good for the majority of people who don't need that next, you know, 16th of an inch in circumference on their like, you know, distal hamstring, whatever, you know, like, for those people, sure, like hyper specificity is probably good, because they're at a level where like, 0.01% of improvement is tangible like it means it means something that's significant for the majority of people like they're mostly just concerned with looking better and feeling better so we want movements and we want training that integrates more than one muscle and 
I've written extensively about this, where like your body is not siloed. Like every muscle that you have isn't in its own compartment, right? Like your, your biceps don't exist independent of your triceps or of your delts or of your pecs. Your biceps don't even exist independent of your quads and your glute. Like everything is connected in one way or another. And you start getting into a lot of like this more, I don't know the right way of putting it without it coming off like shitty, like, you know, almost like a holistic type of approach to to training where you start looking at like fascial lines and you look at how like the body actually is connected across wide ranges of space. It's not just local. So with that, I 100% agree with you. You know, I think that even though I might say that a hack squat is better than a barbell squat for growing your quads, that doesn't mean that I think that a hack squat translates better than a barbell squat for everything, you know? So there are a lot of different applications where you can look at something and be like, is this movement promoting athleticism? Is it in more athletic or more quote unquote functional movement? And if you round up to yes, that might be a better movement for the majority of people, even if it's not the best for hypertrophy, which is like different than a lot of what I talk about, because I usually talk about like, how do we get bigger muscles? How do we do that more efficiently? And in reality, most people probably should be going away from that. They should probably be moving more towards like, what movement is going to integrate the most amount of my body rather than isolate the muscle that I'm trying to target here? So do you agree with that? Maybe I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I, I definitely. So and I think that's the thing is that there is a balance because everyone like aesthetically people like guys want bigger chests, bigger delts, right? Girls want bigger asses. They want bigger delts. Like it's just whether you're in the sport or you're not like there are typical muscle groups that people want to bring up in hypertrophy style training things that lead to like the best results in that space. I just think that it's easy for people to get stuck in a rut where they're just like, I just do the same thing. Like they keep thinking like, oh, you know, I need to start doing more for my shoulders. My stability is trash. I need to start doing more for my core. My stability is trash. And then they don't, right? They get back and they're like, we do the same thing, bro. We show up to 614 and we go, what do you want to do? And you're like, mm, some rows, man. And I'm like, all right, cool. I guess, well, right? You you default to what's comfortable, right? And especially whenever you're wanting to be lazy and you're not wanting to think about shit. So like for me, that's my default, right? Like whenever I'm, mentally exhausted from a long work day like I don't want to think about this shit anymore I'm gonna go in I'm gonna do legs it's like all right cool what is the least mentally taxing leg day that I can do and it's probably going to be some kind of like hamstring curl some kind of split squat some kind of belt squat maybe some kind of like you know RDL movement Mm -hmm. that's just because I'm so comfortable with all of those patterns and I'm like all right like let's just reduce risk of injury let's reduce reduce the amount that I have to think Mm -hmm. yeah like like all of that is going to be compounding but um, it is funny, though, because that's like for my lower body day, you know, if I'm going in and doing something upper body, like especially like a, a push day or something like that, I like yesterday I did I did uh, a push day and I went in and I did like pec deck, machine chest press, machine shoulder press, machine dip and machine lateral raise. That's what I did for this this push day. And like, that's the opposite of what we're talking about here. Right. Like mm-hmm. that that is not athletic at all. But for me, I'm like, all right, like I need to move quick. These are all familiar movements. I know that I'm not going to get incredibly fucked up by doing any one of these, even if I like, you know, maybe mess up something with my volume or intensity. Uh, But yeah, it is interesting how we like, we will default towards comfortability, but like usually comfort is the less functional, less athletic movements because those movements require a lot more mental acuity too. You have to focus a lot more whenever you're performing an athletic pattern 
because so much more is involved. Like you can't right. can't outsource your stability to a machine whenever you're doing a barbell squat, right? Like you have there's a lot going on that you have to focus on. For me, I'm like, fuck that. I'm gonna just do a belt squat. I don't want to have to think about this. I don't want to have to think about bracing. I don't want to have to worry about all that. But I think that that does it does lose something, you know? Like it loses something from like a, an integration standpoint. Yeah, and I mean, don't sell yourself short too. So I've seen the inside of your programming, and I know I, I because I've learned from it. For every person that I've had the conversation with, that are like, bro, you don't squat, you don't barbell back squat. And I'm like, no, man. Um, and they're like, well, I mean, it's just one of the best movements you can do. I said, sure, but for what? Like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get a stronger squat. You're trying to, you know, work on, I don't know, your vertical. Like, what are, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm just trying to grow my legs. Okay, well, then I would argue it's not the best movement for that. Yeah. You know, but so it's about your intentionality there. But for every client that I've taken a barbell back squat from for a more efficient machine movement, um, I still try to integrate the stability component that's lost there, right? So the periphery volume that I have at the ends, we'll usually call on them to use some sort of stability component. I don't want them to just forsake that entirely. And I learned that because I watched you program, I've seen your programs. And so I'm going to take a movement that's going to require you to focus really, really hard on keeping your body like in a strict space and controlling every aspect of it. Then I'm going to replace it with something to a lesser degree that's still going to challenge you that way. But it's going to be at the end of your workout. You're going to get some just periphery volume in. It might even be fun. Um, for me, I like low barrier of entry stuff, like something simple as like a sled push, sled drag, just yeah. back and forth, back and forth, right? Just like that way you, you can't like slouch your back. You have to keep your arms out and extended, right? So your delts, your body, everything, your core, your legs are driving. It's a movement that like, it sucks. So it's good because it makes you feel like you're doing real work. It almost gives you that mental blend of hypertrophy style training because it's just a fucking grind. But then there's the aspect of like, but it's the only movement you're doing that day that like requires everything in your body to be working exactly the same way, step after step after step after step. And so I like stuff like that because it does give that functional component to a day that might not have had a ton of functionality. Yeah, I actually, from a coaching standpoint, I, I don't think that like if we're talking about pure athleticism movements, I don't think that even like a barbell squat is the best movement, right? So like right. I, think, I actually think that a barbell squat in terms of risk benefits and carryover, I think it's actually in the middle of the spectrum, right? So like there are multiple vertices of things that you can look at. So like you've got risk on one side, like how likely am I to get injured doing this? Like what is my ability to, to get stronger on this movement? That might be another vertice. What is my ability to get more muscular? That might be another. What? How does this translate into my performance, my sport of choice. That might be another, right? And you have all of these different vertices that you can look at before picking a movement. I would say actually that squat doesn't max out any one of those. It's not gonna be the movement that makes your legs the strongest. It's not gonna be the movement that carries carries over the most to sport performance. It's not gonna be the one that reduces, definitely not gonna be the one that reduces risk the most. You know, like right. it's kind of in no man's land in a lot of ways, right? So like, even if I were to look at something and say, hey, I want a movement that is going to absolutely fill all of these these buckets to the the most the total mm -hmm. total amount most right i might even say something like a bulgarian split squat if we're talking mm -hmm. about squat patterns or something that's replicating or mimicking that right so like it's interesting because that gets into like why do we choose barbell squats over other movement patterns right like why do we choose barbell squat over a safety bar squat why do we choose a barbell squat over a smith squat like 
it's interesting now that you start yeah. thinking about it because it's like objectively like the straight barbell is not the mo- the best modality for a lot of things it's limited and a bilateral squat pattern with a load on your shoulders on your back like in a lot of ways that is not the best way to perform that squat either right like you can even say right. fuck like for your legs perform a belt squat because then your upper body isn't limiting you know Right. So it's funny to think about it in those terms and start weighing because I, I internally do this a lot whenever I program I weigh movements like that right so like mm-hmm. I have them all kind of competing against one another for for different aspects and different like slots spaces in my programs and a barbell back squat is one of those that like it always loses out in some capacity mm-hmm. it always loses out a lot of a lot of times it's because it's not the best for hypertrophy of the legs in my opinion right and the the risk versus reward is not as favorable as other movements whenever we're talking about growing your legs, right? So that's why I rarely program barbell back squats. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, even if I were a strength and conditioning coach, I would probably not like program barbell back squats for my athletes because it just takes one fuck up, one weird rep, you herniate your disc. One weird rep, you, you tear your meniscus. One walk walkout that's wrong, you you tear your ACL, you know, like you pop your Achilles tendon, like yep. all of those things. There's a lot that can go wrong on a barbell back squat. And it's like, if I'm training five-star athletes at Ohio State, am I going to put 600 pounds on their back and tell them to squat to failure? I'm fucking not doing that. Yeah. I'm, no way I'm risking that person's career for some vanity metric, you know? Yep. I think that's the thing is, and I, I've actually, so I was reading a little bit last night because I was just curious about what was out there. I know I read a couple of years ago to what was out there. Um, but there are a lot of like strength and conditioning coaches who are moving away from the idea, like where like people will only regularly implement barbell back squat when planning for the combine. It's like just getting ready to go put the numbers up on the combine. You put 225 on the bar. Let's control this voluminous set. So you can, sorry. Squats aren't in the combine, are they? At one point in time, they were for linemen. Um, I was, this is an older article. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, squat and bench press were in there for linemen for a little while. But, um, all right, maybe it was pro day. I think it was pro days. It, it, it might be the pro days. Every school does pro day different, don't they? Um, yeah, but the scouts are for the similar things, especially for linemen. I know that squat was 100% tested in a lot of the pro days for linemen because they want to know just like general strength was what that was measuring. But obviously, again, we talk about the translation between a barbell back squat and your general strength is it's there's an incongruency there. Like it's how what did you train your barbell back squat for this? Not necessarily how strong you are. Let's talk about the the combine bench test for a second. Now that we're on this, because mm-hmm. like talking about risk versus reward of anything. Right. So like if you're a lineman, shit, if you're anybody, wait, who was it? Mm-hmm. it? It was it was a tight end, wasn't it? That tore his pec. Was that like last year? Oh shit! Um, I thought it was two years ago, but I don't know who the tight end was. I don't. I'm curious I don't now. But go ahead. But j- just think about this: like you're you're projected to go first round. You have to go bench press 225 for max reps for whatever reason, right? Yep. You go in there, you pop your pec. All of a sudden, you lose millions of dollars because of Kendall Sheffield. Kendall, wait. From what was Kendall Sheffield? Um, yep. Suffered partially torn pectoral muscle. Um, yeah. From LSU. 
but so, he was a corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like thinking about that, right? Like you're not this this test doesn't measure anything tangible. It doesn't measure anything about what you're actually going to be doing in the sport. It means not like it's it's the same dick measuring contest. Like it, all in all honesty, you get more out of doing push-ups to failure. Mm-hmm. Like that would be a more accurate re- representation of what's going on than bench press 225 max. Like shit, that that means nothing. It is absolutely like the opposite. That's that's like having these people run marathons. It's like it literally is like let's run the fastest marathon. Whoever does it is is going to be graded higher on our board. It, it's the equivalent as far as like application and carryover. So like yeah. That blows my mind that that is still a part of the combine. I feel like it's part of the combine only because that's the only thing people talk about now. Mm-hmm. I mean that in the forties, but like you don't talk about people's like broad jumps. Like even the one right. dude that that broke the world record for broad jump a few years ago, like mm-hmm. it was a novelty for one day, and then people forgot right. about it. Like someone breaks like the forty yard dash record or like the the two twenty five record, people talk about it. You know, right. And like you said, it is a dick measuring contest. That's literally all it is because it doesn't mean anything for what you're able to do in the sport. Well, it's simple because it's it's a tagline. I think if you think about it, if anyone thinks about it, they realize that the translation between how fast you are or how much you can bench and how, how fast you are in the 40-yard dash and how much you can bench are not going to translate into you, to you being a Hall of Fame at any position, right? You're not, it's not going to happen. I think people realize that. I just think that it's a lot harder. Like, so you, people don't want to get in the weeds in conversation because I can go, well, yeah, he has this, you know, four, three forty, but this guy ran a three, two shuttle, right. Or something, yeah, yeah. something fucking ridiculous. Right. Um, which is like not three, two, shuttle, six seconds, like six seconds, probably average on a shuttle or something like that. I don't know. I forget what it is. Oh, uh, I can't, I can't remember. Well, the shuttle is just a T test, right? Yeah. It's like um, six seconds is usually pretty good around that. Right. I'm pretty sure. Man, I can't remember now. Um, what is the test that is just, it's like three cone drill, right? That's the, yep. just the, like the lateral drill, man. I'm forgetting the names of them, but yeah, I, I'm blanking on it too. I, I can't remember what like a good time would be for like a T-test shuttle, but, um, but either way, like if you were to yeah. sit there and say, Hey, like, dude, like murdered, murdered three cone drill. Right. Well, now it adds context because you're like, okay, well, but how's that translate? Well, agility pick up speed, acceleration, deceleration, like those things are far more useful than how long or how fast you can go with no pads on wearing tights and a straight line with no one touching you, no one chasing you, like, you know, no misdirection. So if you'd say that to somebody and go, well, of course, right. But you can't easily go out and be like, oh, I run a six, three shuttle and someone go, whoa, you know, like it's a 40 because people have those so readily, you know, available in their head. Same thing with the bench press. Like, Sure, a bench press might be useful if the entire game was just standing and just like doing this against people, right? You know, pushing people on that singular plane, but it's not, right? Maybe it's useful for a lineman, right? Maybe you want to know what your lineman can do, but even then, there are more applicable tests. There are more, there are machines literally designed to test what yeah. a lineman can do from a three point stance. That, and that's, that's a good point, too. It's like there are also like isokinetic machines that literally measure the amount of power and force that you can create that have no risk of injury. It's like, these are the types of things that I think about. And I'm like, we have gotten so far in exercise science and the ability to actually measure these types of things, right? Like we know how much force muscles can generate. Like we can measure that very, very tangibly. So why are we putting a barbell in someone's hands that is, 
a hundred million dollar athlete. We're putting a barbell in their hands and we're telling them, go until you can't lift this heavy barbell off your chest anymore. And let's just hope that nothing explodes in that process, right? Yeah. Whereas you could just get the same better, better data by just strapping them up to some kind of, of isokinetic machine, just be like, press against this as hard as you can for, you know, 10 seconds, right? Right. It's, that's the type of shit that's mind blowing. So like, I guess extrapolating on this a little bit further, if there was one, one test, one movement, whatever you want to call it, one, one set that you could give or implement into a combine, what would it be to actually measure the athlete's worth or capabilities? That's a um, I know that's putting me on the spot right now. So. No, 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 no. I, I, no. I'm just thinking because honestly, I don't know that there's one that I, so to me, I value a person's ability to move. Like I would do the gauntlet test. So, you know, the pro day gauntlet test where the receivers are running through and they have to run through pads. So being da, 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 oh, yeah. Catch ball, catch ball, catch ball. Right. Or the linebacker test where they're rounding, rounding, pick, 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 knock the side away, knock the side of the way, dodge. Like those things to me would be the only test I wanted to watch. I want to know what you can do when running at a nonlinear item around things coming at you, making contact and then still getting to where it is you want to go. I don't think that there is a more applicable illustration of what you're capable of doing on the field than it's something like that. Like just, I've seen so many people who are really fast and like, like Tyler Lockett, for instance, right? Tyler Lockett has been fast. He's just become the more like premier receiver at, um, at, at Seattle. But then that was only until DK got there because he's a freak athlete. He's a monster. Um, but he's also like really fucking fast. DK is an athlete. Like the guy can do everything. Yeah. He's a freak. Tyler Lockett is just fast. So if he gets out in space, sure, he'll get open. You can overthrow anyone. He'll get behind them and he'll catch the ball. But you become a very specific athlete if you're just fast. Because now if I touch you, if I push you and I push you off your route and you don't have the ability to regain your balance and get back to where you're supposed to be going, then to me, you start to become kind of like worthless as an athlete because that doesn't translate to the sport of football, which is a naturally violent sport where people are trying to stop you from going certain places. So um, I guess in a long form answer, I would want the gauntlet test. I would want the defensive and offensive gauntlet tests and I'd want to see them against maybe not other individuals so no one doesn't get hurt, but definitely something an obstacle of sorts. I'd make everyone do a Wingate test. Just make them puke. That's fucking terrible. Like, so I, the, what, the, it's the Wingate's the beep test, right? No, Wingate is the, the um, dynamometer. So it, it's the oh. bike test, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. I, forget, I forget what the full name of it is, but it's basically like you get this bike up to full speed, it drops a load on it, and then you have to continue to go at max power for as long as you can. And then once, once your power output drops off by, you know, X percentage, then you're done, but you try and keep it above that threshold for as long as you can. But it's like the worst shit in the world. Like everyone always pukes afterwards because it's just so intense. But I mean, that's literally measuring the ability to, to sustain mm -hmm. a power threshold. So like, yeah, to work hard. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the ability to get work done at, above a certain threshold and at basically anaerobic 
like maximum anaerobic mm-hmm. capacity, you know? So like, I feel like if anything, that would actually translate pretty well over to, to the sport. Um, but also like, just kind of just see who the fuck is able to do something yeah. like that. That's also kind of just like a test of will too, because you can watch pe- people do that shit and be like, man, they're really not about to let this happen. Like they're not giving this up. They're going to die. Right. And then other people just give up immediately. You know, like you yeah, like, yeah, a lot about someone from watching them do a Wingate test. No, for sure. I mean, to me, like you said, Wingate test, beep test, those are obviously tests of will and conditioning and ability. But ultimately, I think it's will at that level. Like you're all phenomenal athletes. Like who wants it more? Um, but definitely like a translation of skill, something that had some sort of like complexity to it, field of play, misdirection. To say that you don't run people through skill drills and stuff like that for sake of staving off injury, but you want them to sprint at max capacity and lift heavy loads to failure, like to me is it's a null and void co- like conversation. I think ultimately what it comes down to is that's what the combine's known for. It's known for the 40, it's known for the bench. Right. Like no one stays around and watches the receiver sprint across the field and catch the ball on each side. Like people right. don't watch those. They want to know what, you know, how fast did you run? Um, so it's a showcase and that's what it's been. And that's why you find a lot more athletes now are like foregoing it. If they know that they don't need to go to, um, to throw as a quarterback, like I'm going to do a throw. I can only go get it there and get hurt or drop my stock the messing up. So they just won't. Um, and some people like it, some people don't like, I have nothing against the players who are foregoing the combine or foregoing playing in bowl games and stuff like that. I get, you know, the fan base wanting them to be present and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like it's about protecting your body and keeping yourself safe and the combine doesn't do that. Um, speaking of that, I had a question for you. Yeah. So obviously with our style of training and that's what people come to us for, right? Like they want to know, Hey, you got the secret sauce to make my leg press more glute focused so i can grow these giant glutes right how do you balance the specificity aspect right getting someone to be really efficient and very specific and even sometimes like shorter than natural ranges of motion um but still keeping the idea of like longevity in mind and just total athletic prowess like their ability to continue to do this at a high level over time yeah so i i think that all ranges of motion should be accounted for, right? So like the the thing is, is that it really depends on like how you're wanting to achieve those ranges of motion because a, a deeper range of motion is inherently going to be more risky no matter what you're doing, just because you're lengthening muscle fibers, you're lengthening tendons. So like you're putting them under more stress in that stretch. There's a lot more tension there. So that shit might just pop, you know, like that happens. Right. Um, but at the same time, even if like what you're talking about, like a glute focused leg press, or, you know, let's say we're doing a glute focused squat where you're, you know, stopping either at parallel or just above parallel, or you're doing an RDL to focus on your glutes in a deadlift without necessarily getting that full stretch and lengthening of your hamstrings, like all of those things, right? Like that is intentional restricting of range of motion. Um, and I think that it's probably a little bit more easy to, to visualize whenever we're talking about like glutes because on the other side of that spectrum, we have like the quads where like anything that's becoming more glute focused is becoming less quad focused. At least that's how, you know, we're trying to, to imagine this right now. Um, but I, I still think that you should be training those deep knee flexion ranges of motion at some point, at some point, right? It doesn't have to be in a squat. It doesn't have to be in a leg press. It doesn't have to be in a leg extension, right? Like if we're really trying to minimize the amount of quad involvement that we're getting on a lot of these movements, but you should get to that point at some point, right? Like you should, you should 
undergo every aspect of a range of motion that you're capable of getting, right? Like you should always train your mobility. You should always be able to own a range of motion. You should be able to control it no matter what. You should be strong there. So like, even if you're not directly wanting to grow your quads, you should still be very strong in the deepest points of knee flexion, right? So like if you can do a, like a reverse Nordic, right? You might not necessarily be aiming to grow your quads, but if you can do a full range of mo- range of motion reverse Nordic curl, your mobility through your quads and your knees is going to be phenomenal, right? Absolutely phenomenal. Which means that you're going to be less likely to get hurt. Like that's an important factor too. You have to be able to train through full range of motion consistently, so early, and then consistently do that over time to make sure that you are avoiding injury long-term because the more that you avoid ranges of motion, the less your body has the ability to generate strength in those ranges of motion over time. Right. So like one thing that you'll see a lot is whenever you give someone like a caustic squat or like a lateral lunge or something like that, and they have no mobility in that plane, like they're just like a band, like they're like, like a deer trying to walk, you know, like they, they don't Knees know. Caving in and shit. Yeah. Like they, they don't know how to do any kind of like lateral lunge pattern. And it's mostly just because they've never done it before. Right. And a lot of people don't work in certain planes. It's just not familiar to them because we're so used to working in like a front to back plane. And in my head right now, I was like, for some reason that is like completely just escaping me. It's a sa- it, no, it's a frontal plane, right? Yeah. Front to back. AP. Huh? AP, anterior, posterior. Yeah. Like, for some reason, like in my head, I always confuse sagittal and frontal, but yeah, um, <laughs> we're, we're always working in that plane. Like we're doing lunges forward to back. We're doing squats in that plane. We're doing, you know, deadlift variations, in that plane We're mm-hmm. we're never working side to side. So like, it's a really good example. Whenever you give someone a pattern or movement that works in unfamiliar ranges of motion, because you watch them and you're like, why can you not get into this position? You know, like what, there's nothing restricting you. It's your own mobility that's restricting you because you've lost it over time. Your body's now so bound up because it's been telling itself for years, we don't need to retain this strength in this position. So we can focus on getting stronger in other ranges of motion. And we don't have to worry about that. So we can just bind ourselves up and just hope that we never get there, right? So that's why you see a lot of injuries happen whenever someone goes a little bit too far in a range of motion because their body isn't used to it. So they get into that deeper range or whatever range it is, that unfamiliar range, they get into that unfamiliar range and then all of a sudden something pops, something snaps. And it's because they haven't maintained strength there. They, They don't have the mobility to actually control the movement pattern in that range of motion. So like going back to quad focus, glute focus, however you want to, to, to phrase that, like at the end of the day, it's not a big deal as long as you are accounting for specific ranges of motion. And that can even be something as simple as stretching, right? Like it can be, um, God, what the fuck? Why am I losing my mind right now? I'm like completely blanking on what that type of stretching is where you contract hard, like a static contraction, then you go deeper into the stretch. Why am I? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I know, well, there's a type of, there's a company that does it. I forget what it's called. It's not dynamic. It's, um, no, it's, it's, it's a, a word type, for it. It's, it's a type of stretch. And I'm completely, blank. Yeah. as soon as we get off this, I'm going to remember and I'm going to lose my mind. Um, but yeah, like even stretch if lab does it, 
Um, yeah, yeah. So even even if you're doing that type of stretch, right, where you you contract and then you go a little bit deeper, you contract and you go a little bit deeper, like that's not hypertrophic, but that is promoting mobility. That's promoting strength in that deeper range, right? So I think that is what I would really recommend to people is, you know, even if you are tailoring your program towards real, real specific either muscle groups or movement patterns, and you're not really concerned with growing your quads, you're not really concerned with like your horizontal pressing, right? Like if you're a woman, you're like, I don't need to train my chest, which I'm I'm almost done writing like this 10,000 word article about how women should train their chest. So that that's on the on the horizon forward to it yeah that's on the horizon on the entire bodybuilding world but um but yeah like that's the thing right where it's like even if you don't want to to hypertrophy your chest or you don't want to necessarily get stronger in that horizontal pressing plane not doing it is too risky so like you're you're sacrificing your health potentially by completely avoiding things and that's why it pays to be more well-rounded, even if you're only going into the gym and doing like, you know, two sets of push-ups every sixth week. Who gives a shit, right? Yeah. It's just the maintenance of that that pattern, that mobility. That's all that you need to do to maintain your health. But you don't need to grow the muscles. That's not necessarily important. It's just about knowing how to avoid getting hurt, essentially. Like, that's the best way I can exactly. put it. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's that's the big thing for me. That's why I wanted to talk about this today. It was because I know, I mean, Kelly and I always joke about, and everyone always jokes, like if you're Chris's client, like chances are he'll have you do some sort of like circus movement. That's not necessarily weight bearing, right? It's not, you know, Bryce's twisty RDLs or, you know, whatever, but like this is a movement that's going to challenge you athletically. It's going to challenge you, you know, your whole body to be able to do something in unison. And I think a big piece for me is that like, I've had to sell it to a few clients and most people buy into it. And so people say, you know, Chris, I just don't want to do it. And like, that's okay. This is your program. I'm just, you know, a guide and we will do whatever you feel most comfortable with. Um, but I think the big thing for me as a coach is overarching for me. And it's easier for me to see than it is for them to see is longevity because I know what it's like to be like a high level athlete who's capable of anything without getting hurt and then be where I'm at now and be like, I know there are things that I'm not doing on a daily basis that I was doing that kept me healthy. And obviously I was younger and stuff like that, but like, there are things that for sure that my coach was like, no, this is what this day is for. This is what this day is for. I had trainer that the body work people. And I was not nearly as ailed as I am today. Mm. That kind of stuff and making sure that you're implementing it, uh, implementing it on a daily basis, or at least regularly is super, super important. Um, and that's what I see because I see the longevity of it. But then also I was a better athlete then too. Like I was, stronger and more planes and more capable of certain things um then than i am now partially because of what i was doing as far as the training is concerned it's not always easy to see the progression model in a technical like full body like movement um jump squats and stuff like that like, like i get it like it's not like a leg press you can just keep adding weight and getting more volume and going look i'm getting better um so I get like the aversion to like saying, I want to implement those because it can kind of painstaking and they're not fun to do. Um, but everyone, every female, especially that I've implemented some sort of like power athletic movement into, whether it's box jumps or it's leg drags or it's like pushes, like explosions, um, jump squats, et cetera. Like it, once they get it, they love it, right? It's a part of the movement, a part of the day they look forward to a lot. I think there's a mental aspect there as well. There's something about just feeling powerful, but we've seen ramifications 
go in a positive direction for things like stiff leg deadlift and you know their ability to get on a hack squat and put more load, control that depth of those range of motions because their hips feel more stable, they feel stronger, they feel more confident. Um, and I think there's a huge benefit in making sure that you do find time in our phasic style of training to implement a more full body approach, less of like, am I targeting glutes and more like, no, we're working on our unilateral squat patterns, right? Unless if I'm targeting quads and no, we're just focusing on, you know, et cetera. So um, that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up today. No. And I think that that's a really good way of putting it too, because like not everyone has to be on the most hypertrophically optimal, (laughs) hypertrophically, (laughs) I don't think that's a word, but um, the most like optimal movement or optimal program for muscle building. Um, that's not necessary for every single client that comes in. Some people are just going to be more interested in like what we talked about, just feeling better, looking better mm-hmm. and getting stronger over time. Obviously they want to build muscle, but like, you know, there are other goals there too. And if you have someone who's on like an Olympia stage, maybe they don't have the leeway to mm-hmm. devote more volume, more movements, more time in the gym towards like what you like these kind of like circus movements, right? Like right. movements that aren't directly maximizing whatever hypertrophic potential that we're aiming to maximize. So that would be one aspect of it. But there are the majority of people are not on the Olympia stage. On Olympia stage, right? Yeah, like the the majority of people need something that is going to be functional, that is going to be able to be actually done on a consistent basis too, that they're not going to get stressed about whenever they're traveling. Um, you know, having to understand too, that it is okay if you're not doing things exactly the way that I want you to be doing them in the program, right? Like you need to make a modification and it's right. not this, you know, X, Y, Z degree, you know, specific machine, specific, you know, strength curve, X, Y, you know, all this, right? Like, it doesn't have to be this perfect movement for you to get a lot out of it. And actually, Yi and I were talking about this the other day. Like, there are a lot of ways to skin a cat. And especially whenever you're training people, whenever you're coaching people through their programming, it's there's no right way to do it, you know? And actually, the right way to do it is whatever your client gets the most out of, whatever they're capable of doing. So with, like, athleticism, I actually, ironically enough, we'll talk about it again. I wrote an article like last week about athleticism and about why it is so important that you integrate some kind of like athleticism in your training continuously rather than trying to shy away from it while you focus on your bodybuilding goals for like three years and you try and come back because whenever you stop training like an athlete you lose the ability to train like an athlete it goes away like if you're someone who has a 40 inch vert in high school if you stop training to maintain or increase that vertical. If you stop training to jump and you come back in 10 years, you're not going to still have a a 40 inch vertical. Like that shit dissipates over time. Your body has physiological mechanisms that actually start to move away from whatever you're not training because your body's smart. It, It maximizes its potential. So like if you're training like a bodybuilder with slow tempos, with higher rep sets, with a lot of rest in between, that's, the antithesis of training like an athlete with like power, with a lot of acceleration, with deceleration, like with short, yep. short rests and like lower rep ranges per se, you know, like that's more of athleticism style training. Um, but yeah, I wrote this article basically talking about how like you have to incorporate different types of athleticism into your training, at least semi-regularly. Like what you said, it's not about 
isolating the glutes. It's about us working this hinge pattern, or it's us working this unilateral, this unilateral squat pattern, or it's us trying to improve this other quality, right? So trying to shift your perspective a little bit every once in a while, even as like a, a bodybuilding athlete is good. It's needed, especially if you are going to maintain some of these qualities that over time do begin to dissipate. Like if you want to grow muscle, your muscle has the ability to stick around. If you yeah. detrain, it's really easy to get that muscle back over time. If you lose your athleticism, that's a bit more of a challenge. Like it, it doesn't come yeah. back that easily. And there are a lot of other things that come along with athleticism too, that aren't as quick to be able to like retrain. So I definitely agree. I think there is some aspect that needs to be consistently left in there. Um, and it can't always just be like the most hyper-specific to bodybuilding, even if yeah. you have a bodybuilding client or if you are a bodybuilding athlete. Yeah, no, I mean, and that really surmises it really well. I think that, like like you said, I think about the Mike Frazier's, the Rich Freunings, the David's Daughters and stuff like that. Now, obviously, I don't think there's a ton of bodybuilding athletes, especially females that want to look like one of the David's Daughters. But if you look at them and their ability to put on a lot of muscle mass, but also be super fucking functional at a very, very high level, it's cap you're capable of doing it, right? Like, it's not something that you are incapable of doing. Now, obviously, their goal is to be hyperfunctional. That's what they want to be best at. For a bodybuilding athlete, your goal is to look the best, right? Like to continue to build your proportions and dimensions to the, the best of your ability. But if they can marry it at their high level, I think that, you know, bodybuilders can too. There's definitely room for that. Um, it just comes down, like you said, a proper planning and being able to implement that stuff on a regular basis. Because at the end of the day, like it can feed your goals if done intelligently. It doesn't take away from them. Um, as long as you're not doing anything stupid. So that was it. But I'm anxious to read that paper though. That'd be cool. Uh, which one, the, the pack training or the, the athletic one? one. Oh the yeah. One. It was, uh, it was part of the training club. So like it was, it's, it's always just attached randomly to like some of those, those other posts. So like, I just decide times to write long articles, but <clears throat> yeah. So like outside of that, there wasn't really anything else I wanted to touch on, like super specifically with athleticism. I really just wanted to get you started talking about yeah. athleticism and training like an athlete and just hearing your background. And I knew that we'd be able to spin that off into a more broad conversation. So is there anything else that you want to add or anything that you want to talk about? Nah, that went well. Um, we circled back into the injury prevention. I think that's my, that's my biggest horn. If there's one thing I can sound off on is that like, I get it. Like you mentioned you detrain certain things, you can get certain things back. If my dad, he stopped training. He stopped going to the gym, stopped all resistance style training for, you know, a year and a half or so. And he's back at it and he's going well. And yeah, there's the doms and there's getting back into it. Just kind of get used to it. Your body's tired, you're fatigued mentally, physically. But if I took the motherfucker out and said, let's go run sprints, like it would murder him. Like he wouldn't be able to bounce back. Right. Like that's, he might hurt himself while trying to do it with me. Um, and like you said, that that's really important to realize, like, what are you losing by avoiding certain things and making sure like, Hey, like one, do you want to be able to run? Like, do you want to be able to run when you're older? Do you want to be able to move quickly without worrying about what's going to happen if you do so? Um, and also understand that it still will feed what you're trying to accomplish now. And if you can grasp that concept and marry it to what it is you're doing, you can build a really, really solid program for any client with any goal. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I definitely want to come back to that at some point with us talking about 
how important injury prevention is in the program as compared to getting results quickly, because this is something that I know that we've honestly built the company around is risk management. And sometimes it's difficult to communicate that with clients that like, you can't do anything if you're hurt. So we have right. to be smart about this because you might want to train this way, but it's too risky for what we're trying to do or where you're at currently. Like so hard to communicate that to people, but I definitely want to come back to that at some point, maybe another podcast episode where we'll talk about how to balance injury prevention with optimality or quick results. So before yeah. I let you go, before we drop this, I do want to ask you a question because it's something that I've been asking everybody. All right. Go. So if you could choose to be successful at one thing and you were guaranteed success, but you had to do it for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's a good one. Um, and it doesn't have to be work-related. You can define success however you want. It doesn't have to be a job, sure. anything. For sure. Um, it would. It would have to be a sport. I would say it'd be between baseball and basketball, ironically enough, even though I played football in college. If I was guaranteed success, I was guaranteed to be, you know, like a semi-premier player and I get to play for the rest of my life. Um, 100%, I would, I would choose to be an athlete. I think there's just, obviously it's close to me. I think that athletes have a lot of power and sway. I've seen athletes be able to use their capabilities off the field to really impact people positively. So, I think that's to me the best of both worlds outside, outside looking in the ability to play a sport, a kid's game your entire life and be successful at it, make money and then go out and inspire the world around you. Um, I think that's a win-win. And I was hoping you would say something like colonize the universe, but I guess that works too. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that works. No. All right, cool. We can wrap this up. I appreciate you, man. Um, obviously we're going to be doing this a little bit more often. You're going to be a regular guest. We'll have a bunch of good conversations. So yeah, man, appreciate it. Is there? What's there?